We have a trade to announce. I think you're going to want to hear this. Tip to the far boards and Miller held in left point. Into the slot for Horvat. He scores. Bo Horvat has his second of the game on a one-time drive from the slot, and it's three to two. Right wing for Horvat into the Blue Jackets zone. Passes left circle. Joshua centers. He scores. It bounced off one of the Columbus defenders and in. Here's another chance for the Islanders in tight. Mayfield shot save. Rebound. Mobilia. He scores. Cleans up the loose change from the right of the crease. Matt Martin, he'll center for Ross Johnston, drops into the slot. At to Ratu to the goal, he scores. In clean on Spencer Martin after the turnover of the red line. And At to Ratu has his second of the year to tie the game at one for the Islanders. You thought the Canucks season was going to at least be quiet for one week. The bye week, the all-star week. Well, the Vancouver Canucks had other ideas. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah, Canucks Central, from the Kintec studio as the captain. Bo Horvat has been traded to the New York Islanders. Sat, it's uh, it's a wild day in Canucks land. What What's new in this roller coaster of a season? Uh, I, you know what? I'm just glad they got ahead of it. You know, like we talked so much about Bo Horvat and everything that's gone on with his season. And are they playing with fire, not trading him? And should they sit him out? And the trade deadline is still, you know, four, almost five weeks away at this stage. And the Canucks finally made the move and they traded him. And we'll get into, you know, what we think of the trade, what, what it means for the organization. And we have tons of reaction coming up throughout the show. But I'm glad they, they made the move and we're finally done with the one big trade we've been, wait, we've been waiting for. I think everybody in the back of their minds sort of knew uh, that Friday's game against uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets had the potential to be Bo Horvat's final game as a Vancouver Canuck, and uh, at least in Vancouver. And you know that's uh, that's how it turns out to be. It's it's a little bit unfortunate, but it, it is the reality of the situation. Uh, given Bo Horvat is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, and well, he and Lou Lamorello are currently speaking to media. We will uh, try to turn down or turn around some of that for you as the show goes on. We've got lots coming up. David Pinota is going to join us. We'll have Don Taylor join us. Patrick Alvine is going to speak to Vancouver Media coming up after five thirty. All of this will be available to you on the podcast of today's version of Canucks Central. So the deal, Sat, it is Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders for Anthony Beauvillier, Atu Ratu, and a first-round pick that is top 12 protected for 2023. Your initial reaction to the deal. So... They get the three pieces they were looking for. They were looking for that one prospect they believe uh, can be a difference maker down the line. They get a first-round pick, and they get a player that they believe has some level of value. And so when I look at this trade, and, and you know, when the talk of the Islanders came up in the past and Aturati's uh, name came up, one of the th- questions I had is, like, he is a very good prospect. He's well thought of, but what is ultimately his ceiling, right? Like, what is he? Is he actually, like, a can't-miss top six, you know, maybe front-line or second line center, or is he maybe not that? That was my, my ultimate question with Aturatu. So that, that's why I wasn't always the most enamored when it came to him as a prospect, or at least being the best piece in a Bull Horvat trade. But it just comes down to your evaluation of him. So 
that's kind of my initial take is like you're not getting a home run piece just looking at the trade that you're actually looking for but you are getting you know three pieces at least two that are very good in terms of a future prospect and a first round pick which we'll talk about that is protected and how that may work out in the Canucks favor to me that protected first round pick if somehow the Islanders get a high pick this year and it turns out to be an unprotected pick next year, that to me could be the most tantalizing potential here in this trade. And that can end up being the most valuable piece if that ends up being a high pick next year for the Vancouver Canucks. So that's my, my initial take on it, that I don't love Aturatu in general in terms of a high-end prospect, but certainly a player that should play in the National Hockey League. So I got a couple of... Um... I guess very optimistic um, views of, of Atu Ratu, who, mm-hmm. you know, he's already shown pretty well in the AHL and uh, in limited time in the NHL has two goals this year in, in 12 games. But a couple of the people I talked to do believe he is already NHL ready and does have top six center potential. Um, I, I don't like, I don't think he's going to be a top line center sat, but I think the, ceiling projection which doesn't always end up how this turns out to be you know the Canucks are probably hoping he develops into a second line center type thing I I would say that I I don't know if I see uh, a top of the line player here uh, in Atu Ratu but there is top six potential Mm -hmm. in this player who was drafted second over or sorry in the second round of 2021 and I remember leading into that draft a lot of um, you know, my research on Ratu at the time essentially was first round talent that had a really tough year going into the draft that pushed him down a lot of draft boards. So um, he's he's a little bit of an older player at 20 years old, you know, just a year out from his draft year or a year and a bit from his draft year, but is a late birthday. So you're kind of hoping that he ends up being that top six center. And we know what the Canucks were looking for. They were looking for a big time or a potentially impact center or right shot D in this deal or one of those two types of pieces. And they feel they've got that with Atu Ratu. So uh, speaking to some uh, scouts about this uh, the last you know hour and a bit since the trade went down, yep. I got a bit of a mixed reaction for it. I did get people mentioning to me that, yeah, he can be a second-line center. Uh, and somebody said to me, like, the question is, is he actually going to be a winger or is he going to be a center? There is some question whether he's best suited to be a winger long-term or being a center long-term. And the other question people had is, does he have enough finishing to truly be a top six guy or is he going to end up being a really solid, you know, third line, middle six type of a player? That's the projection I got from a few scouts talking to them. So a bit of a mixed reaction to your point. You hear some people mention they think he's going to be a top six center, second line center type. And you have others that are kind of down on his potential being a center, but think he's going to be a winger. Now, listen, all we're doing, because I see people texting and saying, oh, he can be better than that. And I understand some people saying he's not going to be any good. This is the reality. All you, all we know is what scouts tell us, and that people, what people who watch him play can tell us. But what the Canucks are banking on here, Dan, is 
their evaluation of the player is correct, but also that they're going to have the right developmental system here in Vancouver, whether that's starting in Abbotsford or here with the Canucks, that they're going to be able to get these guys to the top of their potential. And that's what I think the Canucks are banking on the most, that they think he's a player who has upside, and they believe that in their developmental system, now with the Sedins being more closely involved, maybe they put a lot of money and, and time into building that out. We're seeing some of that half success already at the Abbotsford level, that they're really banking on this player coming in here and then being able to get him to the, the top of his potential. And ultimately, for all the talk we've had about uh, Canucks making trades and trying to change the organization by moving players out, long term, what they're going to have to do is develop players. And is this going to be a case of this is a guy they've identified and they believe, Dan, they can get to that ultimate potential? So much of this project with uh, Rutherford and Alvin is about being better at developing players in-house. Uh, and the players you do bring in to your organization, you develop them to be the best players they can be. And, uh, you know, this team wasn't developing enough players uh, by the pre- previous regime. So that's one of the things they are banking on. And uh, a couple of the people I talked to also mentioned his uh, two-way ability, two-way awareness um, again, I didn't watch a ton of Bridgeport yeah. Islanders games. He was interesting in the one game we saw him in Vancouver. He did score in that game. That is one of his two goals on the year uh, uh, he's, with the New York Islanders. He's a big body, right? And one of yeah. the things that somebody mentioned to me, uh, I, one, a scout mentioned to me, is he's a really big body. And even though he may project as a second-line guy, he's going to be really good along the boards. He's smart. He's good defensively. Like He's going to be a player, I believe, who is going to play in the National Hockey League based on the discussions I've had with people and the mm-hmm. lot of things he does that this, this team is after. The ultimate question, Dan, comes down to the upside. That, that's really what the question is to me. Yeah, and uh, so so we'll see uh, with Atu Ratu, uh, who is uh, at, right now the the biggest piece of this deal. But the first round pick, it's it's a bet that the Canucks have made uh, to uh, maybe see that this could be potentially higher than a top twelve pick. And on the flip side, you know, if they do end up the Islanders just missing out of the playoffs, which is where they currently stand, mm-hmm. you know, it uh, wouldn't hurt to get another top fifteen pick in this draft. That's uh, as we know is loaded, right, Zat? Yeah, I mean, this draft is loaded, especially in the top end. If you get into the top 15, especially with a couple of guys who may slide for a number of different reasons, you could end up getting that top 10 talent at that, at that spot in this year's draft, and I think that makes it very interesting. But the most interesting or most tantalizing part of this trade, Dan, is what if the Islanders slip out of the playoffs considerably and end up with a top 12 pick? Mm-hmm. And then you look at their roster for next year. You look at how that team is trending. What if they can't keep Bo Horvat? Are you in a position where you might get the home run scenario that the Colorado Avalanche got, where they ended up getting you know the, the top four pick from the Ottawa Senators, end up being a top five pick, which ends up being Bowen Byram? The potential is here with the Islanders, given what their roster looks like and how next season may go for them. And hey, a lot of things have to happen for that to come to fruition. I mean, not only do the Islanders have to have a real dip down the down the rest of the season and get a top 10 pick, then we got to go through an all 82 games next season to see where the Islanders finish. But that, to me, is the most interesting upside out of this trade. That's where uh, the Canucks could hit a home run with this deal. You know, that's what we saw with Ottawa and their Eric Carlson trade. Uh, San Jose ends up giving them a top-end pick uh, when Ottawa traded for... Matt Duchesne, they end up giving uh, Colorado a top five pick. So, you know, that's the way that you really maximize in these types of deals. And, uh, you know, it's not a large percentage chance that that ends up happening, but it, it is one of the potential outcomes for this deal. Now, continuing through mm-hmm. it, 
Anthony Beauvillier, who, uh, I mean, I, I feel in all of the Canucks Islanders chats we've had going all the way back to the draft of last year, it seems as though Anthony Beauvillier has been uh, at least part of those discussions, right? Still a 25-year-old player, good talent, uh, just over a $4 million cap hit, is signed through the end of next year and is then an unrestricted free agent. But, you know, one of the things I immediately thought, Sat, when this deal came down was, oh, no, there's more money on the wing for the Canucks to deal with here. You know, and I think that's a very, very fair question. So so we talk about the upside of this trade, right? The upside is you potentially, if everything hits, you get a top six centerman who's good defensively, has size, can do a lot of different things for you. And like Donnie mentions on Twitter and others mention on our text inbox, what you're describing in Altu Ratu is somebody is a lot like what people said about Bo Horvat coming into the draft and what he end up doing down the road. And hey, fair take and everything. So we'll see what the upside ultimately is. People are banking and hoping he's a top six centerman, right? Now, the downside of the trade, and this is just looking at if things don't hit, is yes, maybe he's not a centerman. And Anthony Bovillier, he's not really a needle-moving winger. Like He helps you out. And my initial thought is he's a guy you can flip, but he's going to have to come in and play a lot better, I think, here, Dan, down the stretch this season for him to be a player that people around the league will look at at a $4.15 million salary and say, okay, what's the bottom line going to be here? But my initial reaction here is a lot of like on the downside is you got two wingers, potentially a first round pick that could end up being a 15th, 16th or 17th overall pick. We'll ultimately see what it ends up being. That would be the worst case scenario. And then Bovillia not being a guy you can flip for anything. That would be the downside of the trade, Dan, if you're taking a pessimistic outlook of it. Now, you know, when I think about these situations, um, obviously, We've all talked about it. It is somewhat obvious that value on the wing is just not there right now. Yeah. I mean, teams aren't taking on bigger cap hits for players, middle six type players on the wing. It's just a reality of the NHL. And one of the issues this Canucks cap team, uh, this Canucks cap has is that now they do have a lot of that type of money on the wing. The thing about Bavillier, though, much like you know we've talked about with Tanner Pearson, um, as that contract gets closer to expiry, then it does become more valuable. So if this is something that you sort of carry into next year, um, then it does sort of keep your options open. You get a good look at Bavillier, and potentially if next year ends up being another one of these building for the future type seasons, here you have another trade deadline asset that you know is on an expiring deal as a rental that could be viewed as valuable or at least gain value that way the closer they get to expiry and that's the way you collect an asset out of it so i think the bavillier one sort of a reality that you have to deal with in the nhl's cap system right now and so little cap availability around the league that the canucks could potentially turn into another asset going down the line now it's interesting because looking at the islanders you know they had the cap space to make a trade here without mm. sending bavillier out so uh, you know this like bavillier's salary wasn't necessary going out the door unless we're talking about internal budgets with the islanders and, and maybe that was necessary for them to make the trade and who knows if we're talking about that but in terms of actual cap space it wasn't necessary for this deal to be completed so i think it's one of two things here either a the canucks actually like this player and wanted him part of the trade or b 
the Islanders felt like this player had to be part of the trade for them to part with what they with they with what they parted with, right? Like that's the two real ways to look at the trade potentially. But I do believe Bobili is a player that's going to come in and help you out. I just don't see him being a fit here long term, right? Like I don't, I just don't see mm-hmm. that being a guy you want to be paying considerable money to when you're already pretty heavily invested on the wing. Here's another guy making four point one five million for next season. So I do think he's a guy who could potentially get moved. But I do think it's, it would either have to be one of those scenarios where the Canucks are trying to explore a trade where they're sending money in and money out, and maybe they have an expiring contract and they're taking money back in terms of a defenseman or something, and maybe that's how they use Bavillier in a trade this offseason potentially. So I think there are ways for you to use him and, and get something else out of it, but I wouldn't classify him as A, a player who's going to bring you a significant asset in terms of getting flipped at the deadline. He's going to have to play better in the offseason for that to happen, and B, I'm not sure he's a player who's going to be here long long-term as as a as a core piece uh Bovillier with nine goals in 49 games this year career high at 18 goals uh with the islanders in both 2018 19 and 1920 but uh, his career high was in 2017 18 where he scored 21 goals in 71 games uh so you know it, that that's a, sort of a up in the air part of this deal as much as people continue to talk about you know, money on the wing, and we're getting a lot of texts about that. Um, you know, th- I think there's a very real, there's a re- very real scenario where the Canucks do move out money before this deadline. Mm-hmm. It's obviously tough, but you know, there's been a lot of smoke around Brock Besser lately, and I just, I, I think there's a, a lot of motivation um, to to maybe move that contract right now. We'll see how that ends up turning out because we've all talked about this sort of situation, but. Uh, it, it's pretty clear the Canucks are going to have to move out money somehow, some way, oh, off of the wing. This 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 move doesn't clear up the cap space that the Canucks were out to do. Now, yeah. one thing this trade does signify where the Canucks are headed. You know, they, they technically had, they added four million dollars of cap to, to next year's uh, to next year's salary. Yeah, they, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're actually adding to next year's books, and it's another yep. four they're adding to the books, but. It's kind of like we talked about before. What's the overall picture going to look like? The piece of the puzzle comes in now. It's a big piece they've moved. But it, the piece that we've been waiting for is that cap flexibility. How is that going to play out? What else is to come? It's very clear they're taking a longer-term direction with this trade, which we which we knew. I mean, we talked about this this entire time, right, Dan? We said, okay, yes, the Canucks are looking for you know players that can that maybe plug into the lineup pretty quickly. But it, it's clear what they want for Bo Horvat. They do want a first-round pick. They want a prospect they believe, you know, is pretty close to playing in the NHL in that 19-20 year range, and maybe somebody else who can help them out. Like they've been, they were after this. They weren't after you know no first round pick. Just give us the best player available, and maybe he's 24-25. Like it's very clear that directionally they are looking at longer term assets, and they are trying to retool on the fly, which isn't to tear it all the way down, but they're trying to do it piece by piece. But people wondered, are they actually going to trade for prospects? Are they going to trade for a first round pick? And do they value those types of futures? They clearly do. So what are the next move going to look like right Dan what else do you move out and what other kind of long-term deals are you looking to make in order to for all this entire picture to come together and truly make sense for the future a lot uh, to, to break down on that front with the big picture part of it but look hockey Twitter we all sort of see it sat um, some feeling that this is an underwhelming return for what Bo Horvat. Uh, was providing, at least this year, 31 goals in 49 games, on pace for over 50 for the year, going to the All-Star game, all of these things. Could the Canucks have done better in this deal? 
So, I mean, it's it's hard to know. What One thing I do know is that a lot of teams were interested, right? And I wouldn't be surprised then that we hear over the next little while that other teams leak out. They felt like they had better or competitive offers here. And maybe you even hear about a team that was willing to trade a defenseman. But the question just comes down to, yes, even though another team was willing to trade a defenseman or maybe in their view may have been willing to give you a better package, it comes down to Vancouver's evaluation. Like Vancouver's betting on Alturatu here, right, Dan? Like they're betting on him. They think yep. of all the all the offers out there, which may have included defensemen from other teams, right? I don't know lefty or righty, but could have had defensemen prospects. But they felt like he had the best potential to be a difference-making prospect down the road, difference-making player for this team down the road. So we can sit here and talk about that, and I think it's a fair question. I wouldn't be surprised we hear what I just mentioned over the next little mm-hmm. while here, and that does get leaked out or whatever. But no matter what else may have been offered, the Canucks are making the bet on Altu Ratu. That, that's really what they're betting on here. Not only the first-round pick scenario. Now, we're not quite sure what other teams are willing to do. I think they're looking at that and looking at next year potentially it being a higher pick and hedging their bets to some degree. But they really believe in Altu Ratu here. That, that's really the conclusion I come to talking to people and looking at the situation. And people are going to always wonder, like, could they have gotten more if they let Bo and his agent speak to teams? Uh, Bo is, is speaking to Islander media right now and obviously Canuck media on a Zoom. And he said uh, that, that they have not had any sort of contract negotiation. So that storyline pretty much lived up and lived true, as we've talked about. The Canucks didn't allow or didn't want. Uh, the uh, trading team to speak with Bo Horvat on a new contract. There could be various reasons for that, as we've talked about in the past, but you'll never really know. And ultimately, this deal is the bet they're making on Atu Ratu. And yes, although it is spelt Rati, it is pronounced Atu Ratu, for those that are asking on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We're going to butcher it for the next little while until we get it down pat, okay? (laughs) Just bear with us. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna keep trying um, on that. Uh, good luck to Batch having to pronounce it all the time uh, on the broadcasts. But I, I think the other part of this, Sad, as you've just kind of mentioned, is what is that next step here, right? Um, okay, now you've made that first big bold move, Patrick Alvin. Uh, how much bolder are we getting here, and you know how? much further does this go at least for right now with the Canucks trying to make deals I hope it does go significantly further right and I know people are wondering does this mean JT could get traded potentially I mean hey we can't dismiss anything you know Mm -hmm. I do think outside of Elias Patterson and throw Quinn Hughes in there those two players anything could potentially happen like I think and you know it is on the table I'm just not sure about the likelihood of it but I do think that like the Canucks are really aggressive to try to move other players out here. And, and I think a player like a Brock Besser, or Connor Garland are two players they are trying to move out. And if they do move those guys out and get the, the cap flexibility and Bovillier stays here next season, well, now you may look at it and say, okay, now his spot on the roster makes some sense. And to your point, if he plays well, Maybe then he becomes a good asset at the deadline or whatever happens next year with the team, but you have some sort of cover and potentially somebody being an asset for you that's going to get some prime opportunities, especially if a couple more wingers do depart You know, before now and the start of next season. I think that does change things, but I think the focus is pretty clear here in, in trying to move a couple of other guys out. And if you look at Bavillier, though, if you look at Mikheyev, who they've added, 
they, they're both players who are fast, defensively responsible. Mikheyev, I think, is the better player, but I do think Bavilia has a lot of similarities, obviously not the same size and not the same pace as a player as Mikheyev, but he is a fast player. He's good defensively. He gets in on the forecheck fairly well. If you look at how the Canucks want to play, you talk about structure. Those are guys who kind of fit into that vision a bit more, especially look at Rick Talkett, how he's trying to get this team to play. So if you look at it from a stylistic point of view, you can maybe glean something out of that potentially as well when you look at how the team may look next season in terms of how they want to play and what type of fours they want to supplement their more skilled guys up front. But yeah, the, the push is going to be on here, Dan, to try to get rid of much more, get, get rid of money for next season because still, they still haven't addressed that need, which is to clear cap space. We'll try to get in uh, a lot more of your texts. I know there's been an absolute ton of them. We're going to pick out some of the best ones, some of the best questions, and uh, continue forward. Uh, we're on until uh, 7 o'clock tonight, Pacific time, so we'll have lots of time to get your reaction in and get more of the Canucks reaction in. Patrick Alvine will be speaking to media a little bit later on, coming up after 5.30. Also, Bo Horvat's been speaking. We'll turn around some of that audio as well. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Kintech footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, Lou Lamorello speaking to media in regards to the acquisition of Bo Horvat and uh, has just revealed that the Canucks will be retaining 25% of Bo Horvat's salary for the rest of this season. That is a cap charge of $1.375 million. Um, I'm almost a little bit surprised there, Seth, that uh, the retention didn't get the Canucks maybe an extra asset, even if it was maybe a later pick. Well, maybe this, I mean, again, maybe the extra asset was a trade you saw about them doing all this, right? Like, I mean, you know, so I think if you look at the entire trade, the way it's come together, that's probably the valuation of it because they're getting that top 12 pick that's, you know, protected for this year, but could be unprotected mm-hmm. next season. I think that's a scenario that the Islanders were very afraid of. I, think, I don't think they wanted to give the unprotected pick next season. And if you look at the other teams they were talking trade with, hey, what other team could offer you that type of potential? Like, were the Bruins going to give you that type of a draft pick potential? No. Probably not, right? Colorado definitely wasn't going to do it. Any other team that's in a playoff spot that's going to look to be a contender is giving you a pick in the late 20s. The Islanders, I think that's where the value comes in this trade, where it's not protected next season. Again, like, hey, that doesn't mean you you have to like the trade or, you know, you can't have your criticisms for it, but I think that's part of the evaluation. And I think the also, also what the Islanders are looking to do, they have a lot of problems on that team. They, they lack a lot of things. So does this maintain flexibility for them to do other things as they get closer to the deadline? Because they're going to have a decent amount of cap space by March 2nd. So right now the Islanders are um, they're kind of right smack in the middle <laughs> of the NHL. They're just on the outside of the playoffs looking in. Uh, I think right now if the season were to end today, the Canucks would end up with the uh, 13th or 14th overall selection in, in the NHL entry draft, and they'd get that from the Islanders. So you know it's, it's not a bad pick to get because otherwise, if you're trading with Boston, you're not getting uh, – any kind of a a valued draft pick in that way, you're getting a late first round draft choice. And, you know, the deal with Boston, at least the rumored one, Brandon Carlo, 
Um, you know, their best prospect would be Fabian Lysel. Uh, it just, uh, I don't know, taking on a 26-year-old defenseman in Brandon Carlo, who's uh, tied up to a decent contract for a, a number of years, at just over four million. Uh, didn't really, um, it didn't really excite me all that much, if I'm going to be honest, um, especially with a player with the injury history that Brandon Carlo had sat. Well, and I think the other thing, and we'll talk to Pags here as well, about what other teams are willing to do. I mean, was that even something that Boston would do to begin with? And right. even the Carlo thing, the only way it made sense to me, just looking at it, was if they truly believed that he was going to be the guy to shepherd Quinn Hughes and be his righty defenseman for the next five to six years long term, and they're going to be an elite pair, and he's going to be everything defensively on that pair, and maybe, you know, supercharge Luke Shen. I mean, that's the only way it made sense to me if the Canucks were truly interested in him. And even then, I had my questions. Let's bring in our next guest from the fourth period. It is Dave Pagnotta. He joins us now. Thanks for this, Dave. Uh, what do you make of the Bo Horvat deal? Gentlemen, um, well, I, I like it overall. Um, I, I'm a little confused that the Islanders were the ones that actually stepped up to make this happen um, based on how their season has been a, a roller coaster variety of a season. Um, but... I, I mean, the return was more or less what the Canucks were looking for. They want first-round pick, a, a top-level prospect within an organization, and then another piece, Beauvillier kind of rounds things out from a cap perspective. Lamorello saying a few moments ago that uh, the Canucks have retained 25% of Horvat's deal, pretty much comes close to evening things out, I believe, with respect to Beauvillier's $4.15 million cap hit. Um, so... Uh, it, it, it works out. I think Bavillier needs and has needed a bit of a change of scenery to get more responsibility elsewhere, um, to get back to a consistent 20 plus 25 plus goal scorer. Um, but I mean, you know, looking around and, and talking to some of the teams, the Rangers um, were, were in on him as well, uh, along with the hurricanes and, and Vegas was poking around Seattle and so on. Uh, Boston, you guys mentioned, uh, but Ultimately, this is the deal that, that Alvin and Rutherford thought was going to bring them the biggest return. And I was told, guys, on Friday, right after the game, that, and I wrote about this over the weekend as well, that at that time, uh, expect the trade sooner rather than later. I didn't think sooner rather than later meant Monday, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think we, we, we all kind of got to the stage the last couple of weeks where, you know, and, you know, I've been, you know, pouring a lot of cold water on, you know, the timeline for Bo Horvat trade because we've been talking about it since pretty much the first week or two of the season, especially when the Canucks started so poorly. Yeah. When is a Horvat trade going to happen? They can't sign him. When are they going to trade him? When are they going to trade him? And I kept saying, it's not going to happen anytime soon. I mean, we got to get to January 1st, and then it starts taking shape. And the last couple of weeks, you know, Dan and I, are, uh, our, our tune changed considerably. We're like, we finally entered the stage where any day now, Bo Horvat may get traded. Like, we finally entered that stage. And, and to your point, I don't think we'll ever know truly what other teams offered because, you know, teams don't like to throw out names of players they retain yep. that may have been traded or talked about. But I do wonder if we start hearing about several teams who had competitive offers, if they felt like like they had better deals on the table, table at least in their estimation. Uh, yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, look, it's, it's all perspective, right? Some teams are going to weigh players and prospects more in their packages than mm -hmm. you know how they feel how they feel or others. I, yeah. I mean, with, I, I mentioned the Rangers earlier. Um, I was told that at the end of it, they felt that the ask for them was too high. Now, how they would 
uh, evaluate them, or excuse me, compare their offer, whatever it may have been, to what the Islanders gave up. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe we get some of that news coming out eventually. But um, what I was told from a source with Rangers was that they viewed it at the end of it. It was just too high of a price for them to pay. And things obviously escalated over the course of the weekend. So, um, yeah, you guys mentioned Carlo earlier. I don't know if that was, A, something the, the, the Bruins were really overly interested in doing because that would have resulted in them having to go out somewhere else and replace that piece on the roster. It goes to the reports of, of the Bruins not wanting to shake up their roster too much. Um, and then at the same time, I, I don't know if it really, I mean, yeah, Carlo may have been of, of interest, but as a prime centerpiece of a deal, I didn't get that sense that that was overly realistic from Vancouver's desire side of things, because then that, you know, if that, if he is as high as everybody thinks he is, then you're diminishing the return on the other assets coming back as part of it. Um, so you're, you're, generating a little bit of additional cap space for next season. We'll see what the future holds for Bovillier. Uh, but at the same time, you get a first round pick out of this and you get a young kid that a lot of people in the Islander organization were very, very high on. And there was a hesitation for the last little while going back to the summer of using him as a, as, as a main tool to bring in a top six guy or, or a first line forward. Ultimately, Lamorello decided, okay, well, we, we, we got to get back on track here. Uh, we, you know, might as well make this move. Well, in general, I mean, th- that's the thing about this deal. Like we talk about uh, traditional trade deadline packages for rentals and, you know, this is, you know, sort of the, the three piece traditional package, right? Uh, top prospect mm-hmm. or good prospect, first round pick and a, a, a roster player. That's generally how it all works out. But, you don't always get the top prospect from an organization. Now that's relative to an organization's prospect pool, right? And the Islanders, I wouldn't say have one of the top ones in the league right now, but it's hard to pry away a top prospect from a team for a player that is as of right now, strictly a rental because there is no extension in place with Bo Horvat to make this deal done. Right. And um, they've reached out. I know Lou said that they, he hasn't spoken, but uh, the organization has reached out to Pat Morris about it um, to kind of get the ball rolling there. But you're, yeah, there was nothing prior to this trade. Um, with respect to, to you know, Ratty, again, this is a kid um, that, as I mentioned, a lot of people within the organization were very, very high on. He had a great showing at the World Juniors. Um, he's put up great numbers in Finland. He did respect, uh, respectfully well with Bridgeport in the AHL um, and wasn't given too much of an opportunity to really excel in the 12 games that he played with the Islanders this season. He did score twice. Uh, but as I said, this is a kid that they're really high on. And you look at the prospect pool of the Islanders, he's right up there in, in terms of what they've got in, in their cover. I mean, it was him, maybe Simon Holmstrom perhaps. Um, but in, in terms of what they got, he was – within top three minimum uh, top two, perhaps of, of their top prospects in their system. Um, so from that perspective, yeah, you're getting a good prospect as part of it. I, I think he's going to be a solid player. Is he going to be a first line star? I don't think so, but can he be a legitimate second line threat in the national hockey league on a really good team? I think so. 
Well, it's going to be really fascinating to see what the Canucks do from this point on here, uh, Pags, because they have a lot of you know players that are looking to move, right? And this trade doesn't still address one of the biggest priorities they've set out, and that is creating more cap space and having more flexibility. And for them to do that, they'd love to move some more money out of the back end, of course, because it is so bloated with guys like Myers and OEL, but that's going to prove a challenge, especially by the deadline. But what about those forwards? You know, Besser's name's been out there. Connor Garland's name's been out there. Does that is there any chance of that happening by the deadline? Uh, they're going to try. Um, you know, is it, 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 a team going to step up and make a move, or are the Canucks going to step step back and say, "All right, we're going to have to," you know, to talk about not winning trades um, or, or having to bite the bullet on certain deals. Rutherford mentioned a couple weeks ago that could come in a, in a Garland trade or a Brock Besser trade. Um, there's certainly interest in, in, in Brock. There, there are a lot of people around the league that believe, um, you know, a bit of a casualty of his surroundings for the time being, just like a few other players may be on the Canucks as well. You don't have a good season. You suffer a little bit. Um, you're, you're, you're jumped up and down the lineup, bounced up and down the lineup, rather. Um, if you can get some stability in a new environment, a change of scenery could do wonders for a player. There are a lot of teams that believe Brock Besser is a, scene, a change of scenery away from getting back to what he was a couple of years ago. So there's certainly interest. There's, there's, there's no question. It's just a matter of how do you make a, the trade work just from a, a, a package perspective and then B, how can you make the dollars work as well? Um, those types of deals typically easier to make in the summer. And, and I think without question, I think we're all on the same page that Vancouver will definitely be active in the off season as well, not just in these next four and a half weeks going ahead of the deadline. Um, but those are names that, yeah, definitely they're going to have discussions about. I, I meant I kind of alluded to earlier. I, I'm curious as the future of Bavillier as well. Is, is it the rest of the season, and then they explore moving him in the summer? Um, if they can't move out certain players, Garland, perhaps a buyout option, uh, as as you know Rutherford mentioned or suggested that there could be a couple buyout options moving forward. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, they, they definitely want to create some additional cap space, and it, it may take several moves in order for them to get an abundance of it. Uh, but I think this team is, or management team anyway, is, is motivated to make those types of moves um, and then also take advantage of certain situations like Luke Shen and his 850 cap hit. That's a very attractive piece to a number of teams, and that's why there's a lot of interest in him. Is it really that hard to move wingers out right now around the league? <laughs> Not just for the Canucks, but I mean, it, it seems like everybody has is, uh, is, is got at least one or two wingers they'd like to move off of their cap right now. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's the cap hits coupled with the term that are still on it. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is difficult. I mean, there are teams that are looking, like Buffalo and, and uh, the, the New Jersey Devils are, are looking for that top six winger to bring into their system. Um, but not from a rental side of things. Buffalo, outside of the playoffs, looking in in the East, Jersey's in the thick of things, but both teams would prefer to pay a, pay the right price for a guy that they're going to have well beyond this playoff run and, and on, which is why both teams, New Jersey specifically, has a lot of interest in Timo Meyer, but they've also got interest in Brock. That's another guy um, that would certainly fit the bill for, uh, for them. But, yeah, there, there are teams – that have those types of pieces available as well. Um, it, it's just a matter of how can you make the finances work. And until the cap really starts to skyrocket in a few years, although we'll see how this Bally sports thing in the U S plays a factor from a, 
uh, hockey-related revenue side of things, not this season, but, but beyond. Um, with the cap expected to go up quite a bit, it's going to give teams more flexibility. But again, as I said, that's a couple of years from now. So it, it's, it makes things more challenging now. Yeah, I mean, uh, everything's a challenge trying to move money around the National Hockey League. And that's why I'm so fascinated by the deadline this year and how creative teams are going to mm-hmm. have to get in, in order to make deals, especially involving players who have contracts. Like like even even a guy like Tarasenko, he's really talented. We all know that. But even the seven-point-something million cap hit, that's not an easy thing. Now, yep. you may be retained, but still, there are a lot of machinations you have to go through. So that's why the players who don't make a lot of money are going to be the ones who are the most easy to move and maybe uh, the ones that get prioritized uh, as we get closer to the deadline. And the Canucks have one of those on the blue line in Luke Shen. And we know there is interest in him. But the ultimate question is, has he played well enough? And is there enough interest and value that the Canucks get a decent pick out of trading Luke Shen? I think so. I, I, I do. I, I think, I'm, I mean, look, you're not, let's be realistic as well. You're not getting a first round pick for, for him. You're not likely getting a, a second round pick. But can you, if a team gets desperate enough, it comes down to the wire. Is it? from a contender status is it a really late second at best maybe but that would be a wire type move um the market you have to be careful too because the market could shift in the opposite direction and it's a fourth round pick i think a third round pick is likely um it's going to come down to again which teams are in it right at the end of it and also how how much of an appetite do the canucks have to make a move sooner than later in, in this particular regard. Do they just want to say, okay, let's just make our changes now and the harder deals we'll try to focus on closer to the deadline. That's the other thing that can kind of come into this, you know, as, as well with respect to, uh, to Luke Shen, because the interest is there. I mean, the Canucks know their options in terms of the teams that want this guy um, by, by this point. Now, and, and every team at this stage, when you're about four or five weeks away from the trade deadline, every team out there pretty much knows who's available, who could be available. And now they're looking at, okay, how do we size up the prices for these guys? What are the costs associated with these players that are available and these players that could become available? And yeah, there's always that left field, out of left field kind of situation. But these next few weeks, starting probably last week, this is when teams and general managers start to get a sense of the marketplace from a cost perspective. And now the negotiations really start to come into play. That's Dave Pinota from the fourth period joining us here on Sportsnet 650. Pags, always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. We look forward to chatting with you in the future and hopefully more trades and hopefully ones involving the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> yeah, I got to think there's a couple more coming. Yeah. Thanks, boys. Yeah, you got it. That, that's Dave Pinota uh, from the fourth period uh, chiming in on the Vancouver Canucks making a trade. Bo Horvat with the New York Islanders, Dan. Yeah, it's... Um... It's pretty wild, man. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are uh, are, are already in, in the text, text inbox, and uh, there's always been this like weird link between Bo Horvat and Trevor Linden and their standing in uh, in the Canucks organization. Um, you know, both captains of the team now both traded to the New York Islanders, so uh, the links between Bo and Trevor continue. Sat they certainly do, and and we'll see if I mean so the, the trade the Canucks made 
Yep. When they moved Trevor Linden was maybe the best trade the Canucks have ever made, not just because of what they got in return that moment. It facilitated so many different trades and really ushered in the golden era of Canucks hockey, right? It allowed them, when they got Brian McCabe and Todd Bertuzzi, we know Todd Bertuzzi, what how good he was. Brian McCabe was an integral part in being able to acquire uh, the second and third overall picks to draft Henrik and Daniel Sedin. Todd Bertuzzi ultimately got traded for Roberto Luongo, and Luongo ultimately got traded for Jacob Markstrom. It was a trade that ultimately kept giving all, all the way up until a few years ago where that trade tree finally died with the Vancouver Canucks. It's a very high bar. Like I very much doubt this is going to be as seminal of a trade because of how well that trade worked out for decades on end with how the pieces you know developed for the Canucks. I don't know if this one is going to end up that way, but it's certainly a lot of fun to look back at it and see the parallels and certainly hope that this one is as fruitful for the organization as that one was. It's hard to tell right now, obviously, uh, being uh, only a few hours since the trade was made, but... This last week, with the coaching change and now Bo Horvat being moved, like this is the biggest stamp Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford have put on this team uh, in the years plus time that they've had their hands on it. Now you can look at some of the other contracts they've signed, uh, Mikheyev and, and re-signing JT Miller last summer as, as maybe their first steps of assembling the core that they would like to see in the future. But between the coaching change, re-signing Kuzmenko, and now moving Bo Horvat, I mean, this is this is the signal. These are the bold moves that they've been talking about for over a year now, and there should be more coming. There has to be more coming. There, I mean, there has to be. I mean, if, if more isn't coming, then what what's the overall direction here? Because is this the team you're going with? Because, hey, they're pretty much, I mean, they're not capped out next season. But all of a sudden, they've taken a pretty significant bite out of next year's salary cap because not only have they added the $4.1 million from Anthony Bavillier, they just extended uh, Andre Kuzmenko to a contract. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. I mean, you signed Kuzmenko. We all talked about how good he was and how good he's been for the Canucks. But for next season, currently, the Canucks have $4.8 million in cap space, and they have 15 players signed. They still have to <laughs> fill out another six to seven players on that on that roster. They can't become coming into the next season with that same team. You don't have enough cap space for it. So you're A, making trades, and B, buyouts. Now, Garland's been mentioned. We talked to Pags about that, and we'll discuss the buyout options and does it actually make sense? Can you find other trades here? But what the Canucks have to do, we still have to do, is clear cap space because all all they've done so far is get futures, which is great. You got a first-round pick. You got a prospect you believe in, and that's all fine and good. Those are things you need. But you've also sacrificed cap space for next season, and how do you clear that up? And you still have to do that. Yeah, adding uh, so you know Bo's contract, you know, ending at the end of this year, you didn't have money there next year for him. But yeah. now you've added Beauvillier and uh, even Atu Ratu, who uh, yeah, still on an entry level deal, but you know that's another uh, close to million bucks. So essentially, you're almost. Um, filling in Bo Horvat's five and a half million uh, with the two contracts you brought in here from the New York Islanders. Almost. Not not quite, but close to it. Uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Bo Horvat spoke with uh, media earlier this hour about the trade, his new destination, and um, just how surprising it is to no longer be a Vancouver Canuck. Uh, I'm not going to lie. In the summertime, in, in, uh, even at the beginning of the year, I, I honestly I thought I was going to be be a Canuck. And, um, you know, I thought I was going to be a, a Canuck for life, um, to be honest with you. And, 
you know, it just things didn't work out that way. There is Bo Horvat. Thought I was going to be a Canuck for life, Sat, and it didn't work out that way. Um, there's a lot of reasons for it. We'll dive into those more mm-hmm. as as uh, the the day goes on. But um, you know, uh, not an emotional Bo Horvat in the way we saw emotions being spread here in the last couple of weeks uh, in Vancouver. But you know, it. I think the there's some resignation of, in his voice, yeah. right? That hey, this was inevitable at this stage. At the beginning of the summer, it, it looked as though all signs were pointing to Bo staying and Miller going, and uh, it ends up being the opposite here. Yeah, and, and, and I think the Canucks did have an offer on the table. Now, now obviously not enough for Bo to, to sign, but you even heard what Alvin at the St. Rutherford had to say, and, you know, th- that public declaration was like, hey, this is your last chance. You know, like, we mm-hmm. feel like we have a fair offer on the table. If you really want to come back, take it and come back, but if not, like, we're trading you, and... I think that was the last sign here this last week. And if that wasn't going to get, you know, Bo to the table and him to take that deal, which is fine. I mean, you've earned the right and, you know, that's fine. You don't have to take less to stay in Vancouver based on the season you've had. But I still think there was a world where they would have kept Bo if he was willing to take what they were offering him. And uh, that is not to be. We'll see where this goes with uh, with Bo Horvat. If he's uh, able to hit that home run of a contract in free agency or with the New York Islanders, that uh, still very much to be determined. Uh, a lot more to break down. Don Taylor is going to join us. His take on the Bo Horvat deal. And we'll hear from Patrick Alvine. It's still to come on Canuck Central.